Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And as you're grabbing your seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 1 this morning and, and a little bit in Genesis 2 as well. Um, so you won't have to go too far there. Um, but we're in our belief series and uh, we're at the place in our series uh, where we're now getting into uh, creation and specifically the creation of mankind. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, the creation of man. Um, God made man, male and female. And so we're going to be diving into that topic um, leading into it, uh, pretty much throughout the entire week, I, I kind of had a, a direction that I was going to be taking it, um, specifically dealing with the topics of male and female. Um, but we also covered that back in January. Um, and when we covered it back in January, I remember there being kind of a specific point around the topic um, that I really wanted to dive in and, and do some more work on that I believe is an even deeper, more foundational point between male and female um, that we didn't cover as much. And so even leading up to um, last night before going to bed, I just didn't feel... Um, feel right and settled with where I kind of landed with the sermon this week. And so with that, I woke up this morning and just completely rewrote it. And so um, so with that, just ha- have, uh, have some patience with me this morning and some grace um, as we dive into this. Um, but I, I think the main point will get across at some point or another throughout the sermon. Um, and so just be with me on that. But what I want to start out by doing is reading our statement of faith as a church around the topic of God making man as far as mankind. So this is what we say. God made man, male and female, in his own image as the crown of creation so that man might glorify God through enjoying fellowship with him. Having, given, having been given dominion over creation, man was called to joyfully cultivate family, land, and every living thing that moves on the earth. To accomplish this task, God provided man with a helper, with a woman as helper, as we see in Genesis 2. So that is our statement of faith um, around the idea of God creating man. Now, it's a very shortened and kind of brief statement of faith around the creation of man in the sense of roles that are harmonious, male and female roles together, and as well as purpose when it comes to them cultivating all of existence, essentially. Literally, what, what God has done with um, the Garden of Eden, he has given the purpose to man in order to then cultivate the rest of the world to look like what God did with Eden. That's kind of our role, our function. Beautify everything else in the way that I've beautified what I've done. Um, we get two chapters of that, and then it just all goes uh, awry. It all goes to, to just sin, enters into the world. And so from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21, you have God coming in and entering into the scene in order to then fix what man has broken in purpose. Um, so our statement is short and brief because we have a short and brief moment of man in creation and it being glorious and harmonious um, before next week we then jump into sin and the fall um, and what we kind of talk about a- around that idea. And so today, um, 
I want to start out of the gate. Uh, when we talk about male and female, there is a lot of confusion going on in our society. I don't think that's a shocker to anyone in here that there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, Facebook was kind of even jumping into this just a couple of years ago around the confusion of gender and specifically male and female when they had 72 identifiers under the topic of gender. And so you could either choose to be male or you could choose to be female or you could choose 70 other identifiers based on how you identified yourself. And so to enter this space is a confusing space. And so um, the thing that I want to focus on is, again, the foundation principle that's not gender specific, but rather around the idea of who we are as a people, as mankind. Uh, in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, what, what's embedded in that sentence is all philosophers dream, the theologians playground, and the scientists foundation. Literally, anything and everything that we perceive from a philosophy standpoint, everything that we believe from a Christian standpoint, and everything that I, I love the fact that science, even though science a lot of times is pitted against um, Christendom and, and what we believe around Christianity and what we believe in creationism, uh, a lot of times science is kind of pitted against that. But the reality is, is science is only catching up to what the Bible's been saying all along when it comes to answering questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Um, how do things work in this world around us? Um, how does science work? Uh, science is only unraveling the identity of God and who he is as they are observing and doing scientific work on his creation. Um, so, Again, I'm not worried about what scientists are saying or what philosophers are saying because everything uh, boils down to this idea of in the beginning God created everything that is in existence in the heavens and the earth. And so the reason why I bring up the origin is simply this. It's to point out the fact that we're created. So like us as mankind, we are created. And if therefore, if we are created and we are not creator, then it's to point out the fact that we're not the point. All right, like when, when jumping into a topic around our doctrinal belief around mankind, to center on the fact that it's mankind would be then to no longer be gospel-centered, nor would it be um, God-centered, so I, I want to talk about us without talking about us. Like, I, I want to point to the fact that we are special without saying that we're too special. Because when we start getting along the ideas of saying that we're, we're more special than we, we really are, we start then getting into the fact that we think we're God. Because we love to think that we're God. We love to go down that route and do things our own way. And so again, when talking about this topic, I want to go back to origin that we're created. We're not creator. God is stamping his approval on us when he creates us, but he doesn't create us for us to be the main point. It's still driving back to him being the main point when we jump into this. And again, I point this out because um, what I'm about to explain, apart from the grace of God, will lead us into selfishness, self-worship, self-righteousness, basically anything that focuses on self. And so I want us to war against that. He, he created you because he's awesome, not because you're awesome. 
And I'm not saying you're not awesome. I'm just saying he's awesome. And so we always want to focus on that above and beyond. What I want to show you um, is that on the idea of design, how the world actually operates and what's um, best for human flourishing are inseparably linked to God being the creator of all things, who not only is the foundation of origin, but also grants us our purpose and has designed things to work a specific way. So God, in, the, in designing and creating mankind, when he says, I created them male and female, he did not create us in a way of then just saying, okay, now you're on your own, figure it out. He did not create us with a, um, a blank manual that just says, fill it in yourself and, and just, you know, I, I'm kind of experimenting with this earthly thing. I'm experimenting with this mankind thing. And so I, I just kind of want to flex a little bit and just see how it works. Like God's not doing that. God is creating us, and then in creating us and designing us is then also creating and designing a purpose and a life for us to follow and live out in order for us to be able to enjoy him to the fullest. Like God did not create us so that he could experience us. Because if that were the case, then that means he was lacking in his community with the Trinity. It means there was something missing out there. And it's not as though like the Holy Spirit was up there and just kind of came to the Son and came to the Father. And Holy Spirit was like, you know, guys, I'm just bored. Like, why don't we just create some, some, some males and some females? And why don't we just do that? Because I'm bored and I want someone to play with. Like, like, that's not what was going on in the conversation of the Trinity when creating mankind. But rather, the conversation that we see woven throughout Scripture is constantly in the idea of we are awesome. And when I say we, I'm referring to Holy Trinity we are awesome, and we want to display that. And not only just displaying that, but we want people to experience our awesomeness. We are creating mankind for them to enjoy us. And in them enjoying us, it's going to reflect how awesome we are and the glory that radiates from the Holy Trinity. So again, we're not the point. God's the point. That's, that's the first point to make. Um, now, I do want to talk about why you're special, um, while all the while not being all that special. So, this is where we see it in, in Genesis chapter 1, um, picking it up in verse, starting in verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What's important to notice is, is moving forward, there will not be something new created, but rather he will begin discussing how this crown jewel of his creation, man and woman, will actually operate. 
So with the creation of male and female, man, that's the crown jewel of his creation. That's kind of the, 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 the climax of God's creation in which him now creating ceases. And now at this point then begins giving them job descriptions, giving them roles, giving them purpose in order to enjoy him and cultivate everything that's around them. So verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That's the first time that's used. That's the first time in the entire creative order that there's a volume to God's creation um, rather than it just being good. Up until this point, it was good, it was good, it was good, and now we have man and woman, and all of a sudden now it becomes very good. This is the special aspect that I'm talking about when it comes to us as creation. The text ends this way, and, and there was evening and there was uh, morning the sixth day. In this passage, we, we get what theologians have called for, for for several millennia now, the Imago Day. We, we do a series of this um, at, at the beginning of the year. January is an Imago Day series that we will do each year because we want to highlight, we want our years to start out with the fact that we are image bearers of God, that he has created us male and female. He has designed us to reflect and represent his glory in ways that nothing else can reflect his glory. Mountains, yes, they reflect and display the glory of God as a canvas, but they do not display and, and represent God as his image bearers. Only you and I, only us, only mankind is able to say that we are the image of God. And the idea that men and women are different than all of creation because God's made us simply in his image. There are several things um, textually that place in this passage of Scripture that start to reveal that. First, there's the break in rhythm. Um, it's not just the, the created this was good and this was good, um, but all of a sudden there's also a conversation inside the Godhead. Like when there's the creation happening, it says God created this, God created this, God created this. God spoke this into existence. And then when it comes to male and female, when it comes to mankind, all of a sudden now you have this break in the way in which God is creating where you see a conversation happening amongst the Trinity. All of a sudden now, what's it say? Let us make man in our image. So now it's a conversation, us, our, this conversation in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is happening around the idea of them creating us. Conversation wasn't happening that we see in Scripture when it comes to creating mountains, when it comes to creating water, when it comes to creating um, the land, anything like that. All we see is God speaking it into existence. And we know all three played a role in that. But when it comes down to mankind, the crown jewel of his creation, we see all three working together in a conversation of let us do this together. Out of the overflow of their unity, their joy, their perfection, they began to paint on the canvas of creation their glory. 
God's glory, and then in the vastness of this universe, on this tiny little dirt ball called earth, and one of the smaller um, kind of um, universes, I guess you would say, within our expansive universe. I'm not scientific here. Um, but you have God looking down and saying, of all things that, that, that would create a sense of awe, for people to look up. I mean, how many times have we seen pictures of other galaxies, galaxy, that's the word I was going for, other galaxies that are out there. When we see galaxies, how, how often we look at that and we just think like that is amazing or that it's incredible. Or if you remember the, the, the Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio kind of series, the indescribable tour where he goes and he looks at all these different moons and stars that are in other galaxies far, far away, like um, it, there's this idea that God is big and vast. But the way in which God wants to flex the most, the way in which he wants to reveal himself the most, where he places his own image is on us, on us, not on stars, not on suns. I mean, like it's, it's, it's crazy to think, like when the solar eclipse was coming through, it's amazing, and this is a Jesus juke, but like it's amazing for us to go out and look up at just a star that is burning that literally we have to have special designed glasses in order to look at the sun because if we don't have those glasses, it can burn up our retinas, um, it can destroy our eyes, like deteriorate things that are going on in there. And, and But yet... We look at that with awe, but we're not necessarily looking at the Son, Jesus Christ, in the same way. I mean, just something small and minute that he created that can have that amount of power towards us, yet we neglect the one who spoke it into existence. But anyways, Jesus Juke aside, um, our presence on earth is akin to um, this idea of so in ancient Near East, um, Middle Eastern culture, when, when you had Greek culture running wild and you have Roman Empire running wild, um, when you had the ideas of rulers and kings, what they would ultimately do is in all of their kingdom, in all of their rule, um, in the expanse of their empire, they would create images of themselves, icons that they would place in all these areas because in the towns that they were unable to physically just go and represent themselves, they wanted people to see these icons, see these images of who the emperor was so that they would have an image bearer, so that they would have something that they could look at and say, this is who we are aligning with, or this is who we are under the authority of. This is we're submitting to. This may be someone that we don't necessarily like, but yet this is someone that we have to because if we choose not to like them, they're going to ultimately kill us. Well, this is the idea of God placing the image on us is when we are walking around, we are icons, we are image bearers of God meant to reflect and represent the ultimate character of who God is to one another. We're to enjoy him but we are also meant to reflect him in the way that we enjoy each other. The Imago Dei is simply God's investment in humanity of God-like glory and moral capacity to reign and rule the earth as his representatives. I'll say that again. The Imago Dei 
is God's investment in humanity of godlike glory and moral capacity to reign and rule the earth as his representatives. I fleshed that out um, in several ways by, by using the Elliot family. I didn't ask their permission, but now it's too late. Um, but in the Elliot family, you, you have Jeremy, you have Katie, you have Liam, Lincoln, Finley, and a dog named Olive. All right? This represents the Elliot family. Now, if they were to, to come on like some type of just extreme financial crisis, and they're looking at their family, and they're having to decide which one are we going to get rid of in order to make ends meet, which one goes first? Olive, right? <laughs> Probably before the financial crisis. But yeah, if you're looking at them, and again, I know we have some dog lovers in here, right? Like, I, I, I get that. And a lot of my illustrations, I had you in mind, but I still wrote them down, and you're probably going to be upset with me. But here's the reality is, yes, in that situation, Olive is going to be the first one to go. Why? Because I guarantee, if you were to talk to Jeremy, Katie probably costs more than Olive does in order to maintain on a weekly basis. So, like, if, 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 if just bottom line, how much it costs, then you would jump to initially just the parents to start out with. And then if you really kind of want to go down the route of just other kind of, you know, take obedience, for example. If it were to come to obedience, I'd probably say Olive's not the first choice. It's probably Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, like, what determines why we think Olive would be the first to go is because there's value there. There's value based on us as humans versus the creative order, versus creation in general, versus the animal kingdom as well. I'll stop picking on Jeremy and, and talk about um, me and the dog that I grew up with. His name was Emmett. If you, I'm a Cowboys fan, so it makes sense. Um, although there are some similarities to, to me and Emmett. All right, he was a little men pen, like if you know dogs, a little miniature Doberman. Um, he has eyes. I have eyes. He had short black hair. I have short black hair. Um, it's probably about as far as we could go. Oh, he was short. I'm short. So, like, it's, it works that way. But the differences between us are vast. Like, <laughs> Emmett does not lie awake at night. Well, he definitely doesn't now because he's dead. But anyways, <laughs> Emmett, he never lied awake at night just wondering or contemplating or pleading for the souls of other people. Like, he never did that. Like, he never lied awake at night just wondering, like, God, what is my purpose in this place? Because he's a dog. Like, he doesn't pray. He's not wondering about retirement. Like, he, he doesn't miss his mother. Like, he's not trying to keep good friendships together. He's just not. He's a dog. He doesn't fast, like, in, unless we forgot to feed him. Like, it just this is the reality. He's not like us. He doesn't possess the spiritual moral capacity that we hold as image bearers. He doesn't feel shame. And maybe for some of you who have dogs right now and you're thinking, no, I can send you a video where like my dog experiences shame because like he's like hunkered down, like when you're yelling at him or something. What I will tell you is this. It's not shame that the dog is experienced. Rather, it's just an intrinsic fear 
because the dog has been conditioned to when it does something wrong that it doesn't necessarily know is wrong, but all of a sudden it does something and you respond in a negative way towards the dog, whether it's discipline or spanking or throwing it out back in the yard. Like the dog's then going to respond with, I don't want to do that again because I know it's going to receive a punishment from you. And so like, and again, here's the reality of, of how you can figure this out. If the dog poops on your carpet and you threw it out back, what happens as soon as you t- bring that dog back in? Is it still wondering in its mind, I'm so sorry I did that? No, it's your best friend again, right? Like it's not wondering three days later thinking in shame and guilt, I just can't believe I pooped on the carpet. It's just not doing that. It's a dog. It doesn't think that way because it doesn't have a moral compass that is designed within us that we possess because we are image bearers of God. (laughs) My relationship toward God is different than any other creature's relationship. We're different than, we're, we're better than, we're greater than. It's and it's not going to be argued. Our place in the natural order is climax. That it's rule, authority over creation around us. That we have dominion, as it says in Genesis 1. That we are to, to bring um, order to chaos around us. Like when you really want to get to the animal kingdom, that's all it is, is just chaos. And we're to bring order to that. We're not to abuse. I'm not, I'm not talking about having dominion to the point of abuse over, but rather I'm just saying that we have order, we, we, we have rule and dominion to cultivate and care for as God is ultimately cultivating and caring for all of creation. God created man and, and woman as the climax to fill the earth and subdue it. It's not olive, it's not emmet that's going to have domain or, or dominion over the world. There, there's never going to be a planet of the apes. Like we think about that, that movie in Hollywood, like that's never going to happen because there's separation between good and very good. Apes are never going to bear the image of God no matter how much we try to scientifically improve them. Only humans, male and female, bear the image of God. Our relationship toward one another is different. Think about it this way. There are relationships with non-human species, just stick with the animal kingdom here, that are, that are perfectly acceptable, that are not true about human relationships. If you see two lions in the wilderness and one lion goes and kills another lion, what are we, like, are we trying the lion for murder? No. We're posting that thing on YouTube because we want to see how many hits we can get because this is amazing. But there is no lion like walking after he goes and attacks another lion and all of a sudden now has like PTSD where he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Like I just killed another lion. No, it was probably a young lion came on another male, like dominant lion's territory and the dominant lion's like, "Uh, what are you doing? No, this is my territory and he just kills him. It's natural order. This is how things work. This is how things function within the animal world. I can't do the same. I can't have like one of you walking onto my property at home and just being like, what do you think you're doing? And then just kill you. It doesn't work that way, right? 
Nobody's investigating. Nobody's filling out a report. There's no great concern about animals killing animals. In fact, Genesis 9, 6 would say this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. By and large, nobody gasps with great horror at the idea of me eating a steak. Right? Like, if I eat a steak, no one's looking at me. I mean, there might be some outliers. There might be some, and they probably live in Broad Ripple, but, like, there's, there's some outliers out there who, who would probably get upset about this idea. But by and large, most people want to talk about how you like your steak, not necessarily the fact that you're eating a steak. Nobody gasps when I eat bacon or ham or steak or chicken. I like all those things. They're great. Nobody's like, what, why? Because we have dominion. Because we're to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about brutality. I'm not talking about some of the practices even around like capital, um, capitalistic materialism. I'm just talking about my right and your right as mankind to subdue the earth and exercise dominion. We have a relationship with one another that is different than our relationship with the rest of created beings because there's a sense of greater value and worth that we possess that the rest do not possess. I can kill and eat chicken. I can't kill and get rid of you. This is truth, if you didn't know that already. There's also a, um, a soul aspect to it that, that doesn't exist in animals. They're beautiful, glorious creatures, but they don't have souls. Is this too hard for some of the animal lovers in here? All right, I'm just asking. I just got to make sure, all right, because I can move on if I need to. But at the end of the day, we have an elevated human dignity. Because of that elevation of human dignity, the way we see the world and interact with the world and the way we consider the world in light of the Imago Dei must be shaped by our theology, must be shaped by the way that we see one another as elevated, as imaging God. Let me quote uh, Nietzsche here, uh, and that might sound weird since Nietzsche is most famous for his sentence, God is dead. Um, if you know phil- philosophy, like Nietzsche is, is up there, and, um, and again, he's most famous for God is dead. I'd love to ask him about that, but he's also dead. Um, Nietzsche said this, and this probably had to be one of the most painful sentences um, for an ardent atheist like he was. He says, another Christian concept, no less crazy And listen to what he says about what he calls crazy. The concept of equality of souls before God. This concept furnishes the prototype of all theories of equal rights. Like, can you just imagine, like, how torn he is to say that? Like, what he's saying there is, short, like, everything that that comes down to the equality between male and female, between Uh, races, between ethnic diversities, everything that would be driving for equality, Nietzsche is saying is a Christian concept. It's a Christian thought. It derives from Christianity. And so like this idea of, yes, there's tons of world religions out there that a lot of people would say all teach the same thing. We're, We're about peace and we're about relationships and we're about beauty and we're about this. Like at the end of the day, when it comes to the truth 
of human flourishing and exercising equal rights and exercising being for the advancement of human society, it is foundationally a Christian concept. All across the board, it's a Christian concept. Anyone else who's taking it and and using it and stretching it, they're only just robbing from or, or stealing from the idea of something that is truthfully Christian. First and foremost, if we believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, everything else flows out of that specifically. So if we value it, if, if at the end of the day mankind is 100% to be valued, what does this mean for us? This means how we view humanity then matters. How we view one another matters. And I'm going to get into some things that, that are going to be uncomfortable here. Um, but I think it's important because I think there's also too many of us in this room, whether it's us personally struggle with this, or we know someone who struggles with this. Um, and I would think it would be that close. Like, I, I don't think it's like, I don't think there's anyone in this room who doesn't know someone or personally is struggling with these things that I'm going to talk about when it comes to us belittling human value in the Mago day. Um, first, if human beings and all human beings are made in the image of God and are image bearers and have an elevated dignity above and beyond all of the rest of creation, then that shapes how we view abortion. It absolutely shapes how we view abortion. If you're in, again, if you're like, oh, here we go, like just Bible Belt Christian cultural views, um, I love to play the game of science as well. Like science is on our side at this point where science is proving more and more and more that the life of a human being begins at conception. Absolutely begins at conception. So much so is science proving that point alone that the argument now coming from the pro-choice movement is no longer around trying to determine at what point is life life, but rather is now based on the life of the mother. And in a lot of times, the life of the mother is not at stake. It's rather about the quality of life of the mother based on whether or not this is going to be inconvenient for her. And again, we talked about that in January when we talked about the sanctity of human life. And again, just looking at the statistics that are running through there, 98% 98 of abortions are around convenience, not the life of the mother. Not the life of the mother. As far as the, her losing her life by going through a, a birthing that, that could kill her. So 98% of our abortions that are happening, the 350,000 abortions that are happening annually in, in America alone are all around this issue of the Imago Day. They are all an affront on the value of human dignity and life. What it is ultimately saying is around these abortions is the person that is in me is not worth me. They're less than. They're inferior. This is the same idea that we had in slavery. These people are less than. They are inferior to us. And so we are then going to enslave them in order to work for us to better our sense of life 
and flourishment. Now, and I'm, this is something that we'll definitely talk about next week as well, but the only people in this room right now, by and far, both, believe, both sinners and saints, at the end of the day, we are all sinners in need of grace. We're all sinners in need of grace. Those are the only people in this room. So if you're like, man, this is, this is you know, kind of a first time I've really been a part of a church before, um, and you're starting off with, I'm a murderer. <laughs> um, like this is, yes, like I am. And the hope is that regardless of what baggage we've carried in here today, Christ is bigger and Christ's forgiveness can lay on top of whatever we've done and can forgive and heal and deliver us from those things. And so regardless of the way that we've viewed other people based on value or dignity or e even just seen people as less than us by the way that we kind of compare ourselves in the Christian realm, I'm not as bad because I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Like that's devaluing somebody to try to validate ourselves and our own actions. At the end of the day, Christ's forgiveness can lay on top of all that. This should have a profound effect on how we view sex trafficking, um, a profound effect on, on how we see slavery. I, I don't know how familiar you are with American history, but in 1857, there was a landmark case called Dred Scott versus Sanford. Um, and Dred Scott versus Sanford, Dred Scott sued for the right to be a free man. He was a slave. And the Supreme Court of the United States on a 17 to 2 vote, um, or on a 7 to 2 vote, said African Americans were not American citizens and therefore were not able to tap into the justice system. So they basically just dismissed it because at the time African Americans were not considered U.S. citizens. Um, John McLean, who was one of the Supreme Court justices at the time, he was one of the two votes that was in favor for the African-American. He said this, A slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker, and he is designed to an endless existence. Can you hear the argument against slavery in that? The Imago Dei is the argument. He's made in the image of God. He's not a mere possession. He's a man. That was the argument from John McLean in 1857. Here's one that might hit home for some of us in this room, um, and specifically even a past that you might have had with this or people that you know of that are struggling with this, but pornography Pornography, first and foremost, is the degradation of the performers as not having souls. As not having any real value. It's the consuming their emptiness and despair for our own pleasure. It's deplorable and it's wicked. No little girl dreams of growing up to do that. If we had any idea of just the horrific backgrounds that we're dealing with, there's no way we would watch and be aroused. We'd be heartbroken. We'd be devastated. We'd be devastated at the molestation that's happening there, at the rape, at the horrific abuse so many have endured. This is an Imago Day issue. This is us 
It's easy for us to say no to slavery, but then we click on the computer and we're investing in slavery. Because the Imago Dei is true, this is how men and women must view each other. This is how men must view women. Men must think biblically of women and push against the stereotypes of women as mere sexual creatures or servants put here for pleasure and comfort. And also because of the Imago Dei, men must think biblically of women and treasure them as sisters and co-heirs, daughters of the king, glorious, not dismissing them of intellectually or robbing them of the right to exercise their gifts within God's beautiful design as the church. We are to empower women, not oppress and silence them. Women, whether single or married, must think rightly about being representatives of God made in his image and fulfilling his purposes. In the same way, women must think biblically about men and push against the stereotypes of men as idiot Neanderthals. <laughs> I mean, how many times do you like, watch the, the show The Simpton, Simpsons and like, how's Homer viewed? <laughs> A lot of times that's how men are viewed in this world. He's just an idiot. You must fight against this, women, which leads me to the second point. Women must think biblically and have high expectations for how men approach them and honor them as sisters. God did not make man in his image and then go, oh, you know what? I'm really not imaging myself correctly, so let me add the woman. When it comes down to the image of God being buried on both male and female, it is not as if either one of them are incomplete without the other. Men image God completely. Women image God completely. Because what would you say to someone, let's say the Apostle Paul who never married, was he incomplete in imaging God? Absolutely not. So the idea that marriage is what, like, like the idea that we were born male and we were born female and, and because we were lacking, God brought us together in order to make it whole and complete when it comes to imaging him? No. It's not true. This gives hope and rest for the single to say, I am not less than those who are married who have a marriage that is representing the gospel between Christ and the church, they are not less than. They are absolutely valued in just the exact same way, being the complete image bearer of who God is. God images himself in male. God images himself in female. 100%. Man, distinct by himself, not with a spouse, images God completely and fully. And so does the woman. We are in the image of God, male and female, designed to enjoy him in all things and to fill the earth and subdue it through God's design. We are to treat one another as image bearers of God 
valuing one another above all of creation as the crowns of God's creation. Because at the end of the day, when you look out at your neighbor, at your coworker, at your spouse, at your girlfriend, fiance, at those who are your employees, at your employer, at those who are believers, at those who are non-believers, at every single person with a heartbeat that you look at. We are to view them as image bearers of God. And not only do we view them as image bearers of God, we are to treat them as image bearers of God. What we do in the way in which we love and talk and serve and interact and relate to other image bearers of God directly reflect how we view God. How we view God. Earlier, some of you guys weren't here yet. They were doing an active shooter uh, test this morning. Actually, didn't know about it, and so it kind of worried me getting here. I thought you were just going to walk in and hear gunfire going off, but um, I kind of wanted to see that happen too. But anyways... Um, the active shooter drill was going on. You know the reason why they have to have an active shooter drill is because there's a broken down condition of the Imago Day within our world. Earlier this week in Spokane, Washington, there was another school shooting where a, a, a young boy walked into a school and just started shooting. There was another boy who came to the gunman trying to talk him down and the gunman ended up putting a bullet in his stomach and then a bullet in his head and he was the only life lost what's the difference between those two people one devalued the imago day and the other one valued it to the point of sacrificing his life for it that's the difference there's two different views of God in that story one who views God to the point of wanting to kill him and the other who views God to the point of sacrificing his, lo- his own life in order to save those around him. How does that flesh itself out in our lives? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. Um, your love toward us in bearing your image on us. God, we we oftentimes do not view others as you view them. God, we oftentimes do not serve and love and encourage and pursue and relate with others the way that you do. And God, this is ultimately tied down to a false understanding that we have of who you are. And so God, my, my prayer for us is twofold, is one that we would grow in our understanding of who you are as creator, who you are as father, who you are as helper, who you are as Savior to us, and that that alone would drive our hearts and our conditions and our pursuit of others as they bear your image. 
God, I pray that we would not oppress nor suppress those who are around us, but rather that we would empower and lift up. That we would train, that we would encourage, that we would edify, that we would ultimately share life in the gospel with them. God, help us with this. Because every day, every single day, we war within ourselves to fight against our brothers and sisters rather than love and encourage and forgive. God, give us that power. Give us that strength. Increase your Holy Spirit within us to be able to, to love others the way that you loved us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at